2008, at the Beijing Olympics, Tyson Gay was our anchor runner for the 400-meter relay. He was fast. In the middle of that race, as he was getting ready to run his leg, the previous runner, Darvis Patton, went to be able to exchange the baton to put it in to, to, Marvis, uh, to, excuse me, to Tyson's hand. And as Tyson got ready to run, he began to accelerate. And as he began to accelerate, he moved forward. And as he moved forward, he reached back his left hand. And as he reached back his left hand, the baton was supposed to be able to hit his hand. And he says that he felt the baton, but he failed to grasp it. And it fell. And it was a crushing moment for the Olympics from the, for the American team. What was so ironic was just 25 minutes later, the ladies were up to be able to run the same 400-meter relay. And the ladies also at that moment, the woman's anchor, Laurelyn Williams, fumbled her exchange to Tori Edwards. Both times the handoff failed on the third and final leg when a safe pass was the only thing necessary to easily advance to the finals. For USA track and field team, it was a staggering moment to have failed in that context twice. The handoff failed and the objective was incomplete. Well, this morning, we're going to remember today that our objective is incomplete until we take this precious gospel and we put it into the hands of those that come behind us. Amen? This is God's words. This is Jesus' words, his commission that he gives to his church. Jesus says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we hear those familiar words again this morning, may we see that you entrusted those disciples with an objective. They ran their race. They finished their course. And so many after them took the handoff of the gospel and entrusted that to the next generation. And as gospelized believers here today, we acknowledge that they ran their race well. Now it's our time. May we be found faithful to heed your words in our day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to follow the Lord, and God's leading to multiply, to start a new church. It is crucial that we all be reminded of why we exist and why the church exists. And the most foundational truth that we could say is that we all exist to display God's glory. In Genesis 1, we learn that God created us in his image, and he commanded us to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Why? To display his glory. 
The prophet Isaiah declared this news to God's people clearly in Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, the prophet says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And then Paul said in Ephesians 1, In love he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. In Ephesians 3, it says the church exists to display the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and to the authorities and in the heavenly places by making and creating a people so that he can dwell amongst us, in us. We are to make the invisible God visible through our love and witness to this world. And as his image spreads, we are to hand this gospel off to others. That is our purpose. What we have in his glorious word is his commitment to see this through, despite the enemy's efforts. When man fell, and that sin in the garden, that affected the entire human race, and you and I feel it today, don't we? Because of that one sin, that sin passed to us all. Sin means to miss the mark, to fall short of a given standard. God created us in his image to reflect his image to everyone we come into contact with. And our most basic problem is that we have failed at that. We have missed the mark to be fully human image bearers. Sin has distorted that image. And rather than reflectors of his image, sin has caused us to turn inward, believing that we can achieve a righteousness of our own. But the scripture says our righteousness is like filthy rags in the light of his pure holiness. We cannot be accepted before God unless we have a covering. And fig leaves will not do. That's why we need Christ. When Adam and Eve fell, they fell very much aware of their sinfulness and they tried to hide themselves. They tried to hide themselves in shame. And what is amazing at this moment is that Adam doesn't go looking for God. It is God who comes looking for Adam. You remember what he said? Adam, where are you? It wasn't that God didn't know where he was. He was inviting Adam to locate himself. What's going on, Adam? What are you feeling? It was God that initiated out of his gracious love. Fallen man doesn't seek after God. As Romans 3 tells us, it is God who does the seeking. Amen? From the first call of Genesis 3-9, Adam, where are you? To the last call in Revelation 22-17, this is what the word says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. God has been graciously calling God is a God who longs to redeem sinful man. God has been and continues and will continue to seek to redeem people for the purpose of giving him glory. That is our God, and he is on mission. So important is this to God's heart that he even tells us in the Scripture 
that he was in the world. He was in the world reconciling the world to himself. God became man. And his mission was to seek and to save lost souls. There's two people here. There's people that are believing in Jesus and are trusting in Jesus, and there are people that have not yet. If you're one of those that have not yet trusted in Jesus, I pray that you would hear the call. Your God is on mission to seek and to save that which is lost. The reason you struggle with sin is because sin has affected all of us. And you end up doing things that you don't want to do. The very things that you want to do, you can't do. You have to be set free. And God loves us so much that he was on mission to be able to do that which we cannot do. That is the glorious gospel. Jesus heals broken people. I can testify, can you? Jesus heals dead people. I can testify, can you? Jesus reconciles people to himself, and he has chosen to use me and you in that process of spreading this gospel to help other people come to know it. Listen to Paul. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. He says, all of this is from God. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, not counting their trespasses against them, and is entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God was making his appeal through us, we call on others, we implore you on behalf of God to be reconciled unto Christ. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you love that message, and it never gets old. You treasure that truth. It is the marvelous, wonderful gospel that we sing about. God became man. He died on the cross to redeem you and me. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, conquering death in the grave. And because he did, we can spend eternity with him. If we grasp the gospel, if we hold it fast, and if we commit to take this gospel and to pass it on to others, this gospel we have to treasure. As staggering as it would be to be able to drop this baton in a race, it's staggering to think that God's people could just hold on to this baton, could just hold on to this gospel and not ever let it go. Let me tell you, and I can testify, there is no greater joy than be able to share the message of the gospel with somebody who has yet to know it. Amen. When you share this precious news and you see somebody recognize that they're a sinner and they're clinging to God and they know they need redemption and you're able to share this gospel and put it in their life, the lights come on, and they, you, see from, you see them go from death to life. And I'm, folks, there are people all around us outside these walls that are desperately longing to be able to have the gospel given to them. And we need all kind of churches. 
We need all kinds of places that are dispensing people that have been gospelized and sending them out. Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, that which you received, that which you now stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here he says it and he sums it up. For I delivered to you that which was I also received. There's the passing. I'm delivering to you that which I received. Who did he receive it from? He received it from Jesus. You and I are standing here because this gospel has been passed on. It's been handed off to us. And he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried in the, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 folks at one time. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. This is the truth that we are to treasure. Amen? This is the truth we are to hold fast to and to be able to put into somebody else's heart. Remember Paul's instruction to Timothy. We just read it just a little earlier. 2 Timothy 2.2. You need to memorize it. You need to know it. As Paul is instructing Timothy, he says, and this is one of his last words that he said to Timothy. This is the second letter. He's writing from a prison. He knows his departure is at hand. And he says, my dear child, Timothy, let you take this precious gospel and may you be strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you are to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He wants this message handed off. And this is the goal of God. This is the goal of God with which we must align ourselves this is why, church, we are still here. If we existed just to sing and to worship, we could do that better in heaven. If we existed just to teach, we could do that in heaven because that teaching is going to be better. The reason why you and I exist here now is to be able to entrust this gospel message to those who have yet to know it. And if we're not doing that, we're ceasing the reason for our existence of being here. We have to exist for those that are not here yet. We have to exist for a purpose outside ourselves, or we cease to mean to feel fulfill, fulfill our purpose. That is why God has entrusted us this mission. And the reason he's entrusted this mission, I want you to think theologically about it, because God's glory is at stake. You get that? Why do we do what we do? Why? Because God's glory is at stake. And his glory is manifested when we make disciples who make disciples and then plant churches that make disciples, that make disciples. That is the call of God upon our life. And that is what God is calling us to as a church so that more and more people see God's glory. You got it? This is why we do what we do. This was Jesus' mission, and now it's his commission to us. 
So if you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll take a few moments to be able to look at this great commission. Matthew 28 is page 635 in your pew Bible. I invite you to turn there and follow along as I read. This is God's glorious, holy, inspired word. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples baptizing of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice, it was Jesus that called this meeting. It was Jesus that told these disciples, go ahead of me to Galilee. It was the angels who told the disciples again, ultimately, to be able to go ahead to Galilee. There you're going to meet Jesus there. You are to go on to meet him in Galilee. Many theologians believe that the 500 witnesses that are there in 1 Corinthians 15 are also among the disciples and the witnesses that Jesus is giving this commission to. And Matthew records just here that it was the 11 disciples. And look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. I assume some didn't know what to do at that moment. The disciples had already seen Jesus risen from the dead. He had already spoke with them. But there were some still that was there. They couldn't believe what they saw. And the text says some of them doubted. <laughs> I'm glad it's there. Because I can identify with that. I have doubts at times. And I struggle with those doubts at times. Jesus says, that's okay. You go make disciples. And I'm going to be with you always. To the end of the age. You come with your doubts. And you come follow me. You come follow me and you watch. And you watch what I do. Hold your place here, but turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, I want to read verses 19 through 29. That's page 906 in your pew Bible. I know we talk about the Great Commission in Matthew, but did you realize there was actually five different commissions? We're going to cover four of those. John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. There it is. Did you hear it? 
That's the commission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit now. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them at that time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands. Reach up here and see my side and place it here. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. He fell at Jesus' feet and he worshiped. And Jesus said, oh, have you believed now? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. And that's us. Do you believe? Remember the definition of faith, don't you? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is, you have to believe that he's real, and that you have to believe he is a rewarder. It's seeing without seeing. Faith is knowing that he is real, and he rewards those who seek him. So let me ask you, do you have faith? Do you know that he's real? Do you sense his presence in your life? If you don't, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Place yourself under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And that's how faith begins to be able to make itself evidence in you. And you know it's true. And you know it's right. That's how faith is imparted. Are you among those that Jesus commends at this moment? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Are you among those that believe? Are you among those that testify, I know the Lord. I have seen him with my eyes of faith. That's what he's asking. And if you believe, you worship. If you believe, you worship. And you listen to these words like he's speaking them to you. Right? Now turn back over to Matthew. Turn back over to Matthew. And I want you to hear these words like you were there hearing them for the very first time. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Think about that. The sovereign lordship of Jesus. Not only full power, 
but full authorization to use that power over every territory that exists on heaven and on earth. There's not a place that we can go where Jesus does not have authority. Now, how does that hit you? I don't know about you, that comforts me, that there is no place that I can go that's outside of Jesus's authority. You mean if he calls me to a land that's hostile to the gospel? Jesus has all authority. You mean if I have to walk across the street and go to the neighborhood and meet people that I don't know? Jesus has all authority. You mean if I have to go talk to somebody in my office that's struggling in their life and I need to open up and I need to share the gospel, but I'm fearful? That's okay. Jesus has all authority. And he's with you. Hebrews 1.3 says, listen to this. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's power. That's all authority. He created it. He has power over it, and he's in control of it, and he wants to use me and you in it. How cool is that, right? And look at the next phrase. And he says, go. Don't hoard what you have. But herald what you know. This message is personal to me. It was one year ago this week that I heard those words. It's time to go. And I'll tell you, there's a large part of me that doesn't want to go. Because I love this place. And I'm not called to love a place. You and I are not called to love a place. We're called to love a person. And for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, better, I'll go. I'll go. Is he calling you? There's some that's going to be hearing this message that you're going to receive this call, and it's going to be upon you, and you're going to know I'm to go. I'm going to be a part of God's work in this community. I want to go. I want God to take me, to use me, to reach people that we're not reaching to reach people that will never come through these doors. God's going to be calling some of us to go. There are others going to be hearing this message, and God is going to be calling them to be able to go to the nations. And you have to say, for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, I will go. What is he leading us to do? What is he leading me to do? That is the question. And I pray that you'll be faithful to the call. You know what the call is like. You received it. And you can't do anything but. So when you are get called and you receive that word to go, what do you do? Well, he tells us right here. He says, I want you to make disciples. I want you to make disciples. It's an imperative, it's a command, it's not just a mere suggestion. 
It is something that is important to the heart of Jesus, and he says, I want you to make disciples. It's a difficult word to find a shared definition for. If I were to walk up and down these pews and give you the microphone, we'd probably have many different definitions that would be included in the definition of a disciple. And that's okay, and we've got to work with that, and we've got to understand what it is to be able to understand that word. But it's important for all of us to know that it's more than just a mere learner. The word learner in Greek is matheno. The word for the disciple is matheteo, which not only means to learn, but become attached to one's teacher and follow their pattern of life. It is an adherent that accepts instruction given to him, but then he makes it his rule, his conduct of life. A disciple is not only one who is learning about Jesus, it is one that is conforming to his ways. It is watching, then replicating what you see. It is a process of being sanctified. And it is the process that he is calling all of us into. You're not called just to believe. You're called to be able to replicate. You're called to be a disciple. A good description of a disciple is one that is committed to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Amen? It is simple. It is that simple. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. It's not complicated. It's committed to be able to keep your eyes on him and then living like that. It is not just a Sunday routine. Some of us are really good about our Sunday routine, and we get real proud of ourselves because we showed up on Sunday. We made it. (laughs) I made it to church. That's not the end all, right? Y'all know this. We have to be reading, listening, repenting, and doing. You guys remember that message? That was from James. Reading and listening, repenting. We have to live in the rhythm of the Spirit, reading his word, listening to his word, repenting, and then doing what he said us to do. And then we're to share that life with others. You're to live in rhythm of reading, listening, repenting, and doing, and sharing that life with those that God has put in your life. And it is walking in the rhythm of Christ. And that is what it means to be a disciple. And discipling is a community project. Discipling, we need one another. I need you in my life, and you need others in your life. We all need one another in our life, right? And what we need is you functioning the way God has made you in order for the body of Christ to be built up in love. That is his plan. And God has gifted teachers, he's gifted shepherds, he's gifted pastors, evangelists, apostolic function of the church, so that we could become everything that God wants us to become. So that is why we're here. It's a shared project. This discipleship is for every one of us. It's a relationship in which you seek to do good to somebody else by initiating a relationship. By saying, you know what, brother, I want to come alongside you or sister, and I want us to grow together in Christ. We're going to put our eyes on Christ, and we're going to follow him together. And I need you to be in my life just as much as you need me. We can do this. 
It's life on life together. And this is for every one of us. This is the truth that should be transforming us and moving through us and transforming others. It is a joy to see it happen. When you give away the ministry and you see somebody else take the ministry and the things that you have entrusted and God's put on your heart and you see somebody else do it. Some of you are great at this discipling. Some of you knew, know and you know the joy of what it's like to be able to entrust what God has done in you into somebody else and then to see that replicated in somebody else. It is Titus 2. When you see that, it is a joy. I want to encourage everyone here to please listen to that command. He wants you to be a part of that process, to using your unique ways that God has gifted you to impact somebody else and to pass this message on. And that leads to our next phrase in the commission. I want you to do this so that my glory would spread all around the world to all nations. Today, there are over 17,000 people groups in the world. And these groups share their similar language and heritage and cultural characteristics. So this is not just a general command to make disciples of all people, as many people as possible. This is a command to make disciples of every people group in the world. And today, there are some 7,000 people groups that remain unreached. Until the gospel goes to all those people groups, then the end will come. Then we will see John's revelation that he saw in chapter 7. You guys remember this vision that God gave John? John had this vision, and this is the vision. After this I looked, and I behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes, all people, all languages, stand before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down and they worshiped before the throne, saying, Amen, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, Amen. Don't you, can't you wait to be able to see that? That is going to be a glorious day when we're going to see all people that are going to be standing around the th throne being able to give glory to him. And folks, there are going to be people that are going to be standing around that throne because of people that you shared the gospel with. <laughs> what an amazing vision. As we reach people with this life-changing message, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You saw that today. And our blessed brother, Andrew. When we're baptized, we remember we're baptized in the name of the Father that chose us before the foundation of the world. We're baptized in the name of the Son who died on that cross for us. And we're baptized in the name of the Spirit of God that convicted us of our sin and made us repent and brought us to submission to God and his word. So when you're baptized in the name of our God, our triune God, you're identifying now with a new family. You are picturing the new creation. You are not who you once were. Truly, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you walk out of those waters changed as a new creation. Do you remember your baptism? Do you remember the moment that you walked out of the waters? Remember that moment. 
and you're to walk in likeness of the identity that God gave you. You are a Christian. You are a believer. And you're to walk in the power and authority of his name. And then teaching them to observe. The emphasis is on the obedience to what Jesus commanded, okay? Teaching them to observe. Information without application is not transformation. What God needs and what the world needs is to see transformed people that own the gospel. And then lastly, what he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love this part because he gives the commission, but he says, but wait, I don't want to just be with you. I want to be in you. So he tells the disciples to wait. And then we get that commission in Luke. And let me read it for you. It's in Luke chapter 24. Probably have it in your bulletin. As they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and he said, peace be to you. He loved that way to greet. Shalom, peace, fullness. But they were startled and they were frightened. And they thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. That is my, that's me. Touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they disbelieved with, for joy, they were marveling. And he asked them, do you have something to eat? I love that part. Do you have something to eat? He wanted to show him them who he was by eating. And he takes a piece of fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. And as he ate it before them, their eyes were opened. And he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It wasn't enough for them to be with Jesus. He wants to go in them. Luke says in Acts chapter 1, as he continues this gospel, in Luke's, uh, Acts 1, verse 4, while Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart to Jerusalem, but to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. He says, you have heard from me that John baptized with water, and, but now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then it says in verse 6, now when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is it at this time now? that you're going to restore your kingdom? Is it now? And he said, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to know the seasons that the Father has prepared beforehand and fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter parts of the earth. Notice, there's the commission. And it's a statement of fact. It's going to happen. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. And my witness is going to go to the world. 
Look at verse 9 there. He says, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Can you imagine? He said these things, they're looking, he commissioned them, and then all of a sudden they start seeing him rise. And they were looking up. And as he disappeared before their eyes, as they're still looking up, it says in verse 10, while they were gazing into heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? This Jesus that was taken from you will come again in the same way. My translation is, what are you standing around looking at? Right? What are you standing around looking at? He told you what to do. Now go do it. Go pass it on. Go take this gospel message and pass it on. Put it in somebody else's hands. Watch them become new. Watch them be, be changed before your eyes. The, the reality of this call and this message has washed over me anew and afresh. And I keep hearing it. And I know he's speaking to me. This is the message. This is the call. I see you, Randy, when you're shaking your head, you know it. You've received the call, brother, and you want to take it to the nations. Amen. There are many of you that are looking at me right now. I, I want to take it. I want to entrust this gospel to others. There's no greater joy to be able to give your life to. The reality of Christ's authority, the reality of Christ's promise that he will be with you always is how we'll accomplish this vision. As a family of God, we are all called into the family business. And this family business is putting this message into motion for our church to be faithful to the purpose of its existence. This gospel message must go into circulation. We want the message of the gospel that has transformed us to move into the community around us. That's the call. The reality of this authority is what gives the foundation for church planting. In Acts and the remainder of the New Testament chronicle the early disciples, understanding the application of this great commission, and you see churches that emerge as the fruit and the focus and the fuel of ongoing missions. Paul's journeys are essentially church planting ventures. From Acts to Revelation, the missiology of the New Testament is, is, is primarily centered in churches and through churches. We are at that point, folks. Providence, we have been so gifted by God. We have so been blessed by God. We have been gospelized. We've been gospelized well. And it is time for us to be able to fill the impact of that commission and to be able to carry it on beyond these walls. We all are to embody the heart of this command. Whatever Jesus is calling to you, I commend you. Be faithful to the call. I want to pray for us now, and I want to pray Jesus' words that he prayed to his Father in John chapter 17. If you'll join me in prayer. As Jesus prayed to the Father for his disciples, 
He said, Father, I have given them your word. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. So, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you, Father, have sent me into the world, so I am sending them. And I do not ask for these only, but I ask for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you are one. You and me and I and you, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. Father, I desire that they would know me, that they would see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made it known to them in your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. To the praise of his glorious grace, may we renew our commitment to be disciples that hand off this good news to others. It's in the finished work of Jesus we pray. Amen.